Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right out of the week, and we are talking O-line today as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 253. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with a guy who's been on this show before, one of the best voices really in the media space when it comes to offensive line play, and that's because he trains some of the best linemen in the business. That is Duke Manyweather. Duke does really great work with some of the best linemen in the NFL. We're talking, obviously, the Eagles' Lane Johnson. But Teron Armstead from the Saints, Mitchell Schwartz from the Chiefs, Trent Brown, Andrews Pete, Ryan Jensen. The list goes on and on and on. Zach Martin. Let's not waste any more time, though, because we really dive into a bunch of different areas of O-line play. Let's dive into our chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, happy to be joined once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Duke Manyweather, a guy that joined the show last summer, back in 2019, talking O-line play. We were down uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth. We were talking through the O-line Mastermind Summit. Well, this year, I was not able to attend, but the third annual O-line Mastermind Summit did take place. Duke, thanks so much for joining us, man. And again, I've told you this uh, offline, but it killed me to not be down there uh, for the third installment of just such an awesome event. I did see a lot of the video clips that uh, you guys posted on social media Tell me what I missed. Uh, what happened down at the third annual uh, Mastermind Summit? And what what can we expect for the future? Oh, man, definitely uncharted territory um, with everything that's going on here in 2020. So we saw more of sharing of experience. And so in essence, for a lot of these young guys that were in the room, a lot of rookies were in the room, a lot of first and second year players that would have took the next leap uh, um, with this offseason program, we're in the room. Uh, a lot of guys that, you know, are going into their final couple of years in college were in the room. So what they were able to hear this year was some of the experiences and the, the, um, some of the nuances of how to prepare and how to deal with adversity and the mental performance piece. So I think we saw kind of a different tone than the past couple of years. Uh, it was geared towards more uh, preparation and, hey, we're going to all beat this together, and we're going to get better doing it. Um, offensive line is about having one another's back and really being on the same page of communication, uh, you know, having, you know, five sets of eyes, ten eyes total, all focused on the same thing. And so that was kind of the message that we put out. Um, and there was an overwhelming response to a lot of guys in that room saying that they needed it. Like they were – so looking forward to, you know, just the fellowship and to get away from the isolation and just the uh, Groundhog Day type mentality that we've all kind of been in since March. So that was uh, really that was really rewarding to kind of hear that a lot of people were on the same page. Um, this year, we definitely leveled up in terms of some of the guests that were there, some of the experiences that were were shared. And I'm excited already for the fourth annual, I think, and normal circumstances. Uh, what this year showed us is that this year had the potential to be really big, which sets us up for the fourth annual um, O-Line Masterminds next year. Uh, will be huge. Um, I think we'll break uncharted 
uh, ground. I think we'll climb the new heights and really continue to reset that standard of professional development in which we have the past three years. Yeah, it was a, a, such an awesome event last year. And you just so much, like you talk about like the, the, I think a lot of people, you know, expect it to be uh, all on field, on field, on field. And certainly there was plenty of on field, but to me, like the stuff that was more gripping and that was more valuable, certainly to me, but I know to a lot of the young guys in the room as well, you talked about the college and the young NFL guys, the rookies, the second year guys was those experiences that, you know, the, the vets in the room were able to share and say like, look, this is what you're going to face in the league. These are the troubles you're going to face. All of us face adversity. Here's how you come to overcome it. I thought that stuff was really powerful last year. Yeah, just uh, small things like how to handle conflict with teammates, how to handle conflict with coaches, how to deal with the media, um, how to deal with injuries, stuff like that. All the stuff that you're 100% going to face in your first year, probably in your first week of being in the building, that never gets talked about. And so if you're not prepared for those things, um, it can really throw you through a loop. Um, we talk so much about, you know, working on your craft and, you know, working on your physical state. Uh, but one of the things with O-Line Mastermind is the mental. You could train your body, you could train your craft, but we can't forget to train the mind. Um, Gary Fraser, my performance, mental performance coach, always reminds me of that. Um, you know, Gary had some great tidbits there last year um, and really left us with a lot of good tidbits this year, even though he wasn't able to be in attendance. So, um you know, we take that to heart and that we realize that, yes, offensive line specifically is very much a physically demanding position, but also the mental part cannot be lost in it. So we try to make sure that we constantly um, harp on that and ingrain that, that the mental piece is really, really important. Yeah, man. I mean, it's like we talk about it on this podcast, talk about it over in the Journey of the Draft podcast as well. It's like, you know, all these guys have – all the ability in the world, the guys that, you know, that, you know, quote unquote bust in the NFL, it's not because more often than not, it's not because of ability. It's because of, you know, their inability to be able to cope with some of those things uh, you talk about off the field. And I thought even hearing from some of those guys that faced some of that adversity with their first team or their second team, and maybe it didn't work out. And then you're seeing them, Hey, like this, this, this was a huge learning point for me. And now the arrow is pointing up on them again uh, to me, like that, that's what it's all about. It's, it's just so, so, interesting to be able to hear it from that perspective um so yeah they're just awesome awesome stuff down there uh yeah absolutely i think you've hit the nail on the head um is that just getting the different perspectives and just um let's face it uh football is a very uh alpha um domain and realm and um it's okay to not be okay with a lot of things and i think Online Masterminds provides not only a safe place, but it provides a platform to be able to present and ask questions that in a room or in a building may be seen as dumb, but a lot of people may not know. And so I always try to um, open the, the, the platform and break the ice by saying there's no dumb questions because I guarantee if there's a question that you think that is dumb, there are some veterans in this room that don't have the answers to it that they have been purposely avoiding asking that question in their own setting. And we end up seeing that. And typically what ends up happening is that first day, people kind of fill it out. And then after we break for that first day, I'll get a ton of text messages about, hey, can, let's touch on this. I didn't want to say it. And then that second day becomes a little more authentic um, and it spreads like wildfire. But the whole purpose of getting in the room um, under the true 
the true meaning of the mastermind principle, as Napoleon Hill talked about, is to really share ideas and streamline success. Um, he talks about when there's you know two or more um, kindred minds and spirits um, that are in the same trajectory that success becomes inevitable and it cuts down the probability of failure. And so I think that's really important. Um, there's nothing new that we're doing here. It's just a lot of people fail to um, read the history and really fail to understand that success leaves clues. And so that's the whole purpose and the premise behind online masterminds is to, hey, we've got some of the top guys in the game sharing ideas and bringing up that next generation. That way we're pushing the envelope in terms of offensive line development and making the position better than we found it and continuing to, to really foster a positive learning environment. So that is so important for me uh, to really advance the position is to just kind of be uh, like kind of that beacon and that, that moderator to, you know, spark conversation and spark new ideas and give perspective from, you know, a evaluation, a coaching and a training and a development standpoint. But it's always going to be about the guys in the arena, the guys that line up every damn Sunday and put it online and put their hands in the dirt. I'm going to learn way more from them than I can give them because there's more of them and they have actually have done it at the highest level um, in live conditions. And, you know, so it, it's a great uh, synergy between uh, my experience and then the guys in the arena. So last year you came on the show, like I mentioned, when we were down there, you know, in Frisco and – you, we talked about just the creation of the event, you know, you and Lane getting together, putting your heads together as he was watching the NFL Top 100 uh, series on NFL Network. You've got a really tight, close relationship with Lane. You've trained him yeah. for years. And I want to just ask you, like, he's been one of the best tackles in the NFL uh, for a handful of years now. Obviously, every single year, these guys are all trying to get better, you know, in little areas. What are some of the areas that you've seen Lane improve just over the last, like, year or two, even while he has been considered one of the best tackles in the game? Well, Lane's attention to detail is pretty phenomenal. You're not going to find a guy that's more dedicated to all of those three things that I said you can train, your body, your craft, and your mind. Lane is always looking for ways to get better. Um, Lane suffered a pretty significant injury this year. Um, you know, blunt force trauma. He had his guy locked up. Pal rolled on him. If that happened to anybody else, it would have been a broken ankle, torn ACL, and probably more. Uh, but because of the work Lane puts in away from the facility, um, I guarantee if we were to FaceTime Lane right now, he's doing something for his body with mobility. And because he does and pays attention to all that and really takes that to heart, what Lane understands is that he goes, man, we only got a small window to do this at a high level. Once it's gone, it's gone. Lane is probably about the most realistic and realist person that you'll get. He takes nothing for granted, and he understands that that window is so small. So one thing that I've seen with the improvement of Lane is just that sense of urgency to realize that, hey, we don't have many of these left. And so Lane is always constantly working, and that's why he's the best right tackle in the league right now. Mm. Um, you know, last year was probably one of his better years that people don't give him credit for. Uh, and again, if that had happened to anybody else in the league, we would have been talking about a guy whose career was probably over because that injury on Monday Night Football would have taken out a lot of people. I've seen it take out a lot of people in end careers, especially how he got rolled up uh, laterally with that type of force that went into uh, his left ankle and left, left leg. 
Yeah, that was actually one of the things uh, I pulled from O-line masterminds last year was like the work guys can do away from the field in terms of like injury prevention and things like that. And I know that uh, Lane is very passionate uh, about that stuff. We had Lane on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago before uh, uh, this third annual O-line masterminds. And, you know, I talked with him about like the relationship with he and Jason Peters, you know, what was it like not having him uh, in the building this offseason? You know, was he kind of being viewed now as kind of the elder state statesman in that room? You know Lane really well. You know how tight he and JP are. What does it mean for him to be able to get Jason Peters back in the building and for all those other young uh, guys in that room to be able to get a guy like Jason Peters back in the building here for the 2020 season? Oh, man, it's huge, um, especially with the adversity that, again, as we're going through as a country, as each team is going to go through as uh, individual organizations, um, losing, you know, potentially – not losing potentially, but you losing arguably the best right guard um, in the league and Brandon Brooks. I mean, hell, this year for Jason Peters with no true offseason with the guys meshing, getting Jason Peters back in the building and back in that O-line room in any capacity is absolutely huge. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think you still got a strong veteran presence. You know, Brandon Brooks is going to be around still. It's just the type of guy that B. Brooks is. Uh, Lane bringing along the young guys, Kelsey bringing along the young guys. I think it's huge, especially in today's landscape with those young guys not having a real offseason, uh, an offseason program like that veteran presence. The more veterans, you can almost put, you know, uh, one veteran for each three or four guys. Now you got veteran presence at every position dang near. So that's going to be very huge uh, for the not only bringing some of the young guys along, including Dillard, but, you know, potentially even if a Matt Pryor is competing for that right guard job, uh, with Matt is looking good. He trained with me a little bit this summer. Um, so, you know, it, Jason Peters is going to elevate that uh, Eagles O-line room. So now getting to, to Jason Peters, obviously, you know, so much been talked about him making that move to the offensive guard spot. You talk about the injury to Brandon Brooks and, you know, JP sliding over to the right side to be able to play next to Lane. You know, people talk all about, you know, making that transition from tackle to guard. But I'd love to get your vantage point on that. You know, uh, break that down for us. What are the differences from a technical standpoint, I guess from a mindset standpoint as well, between tackle and guard? Well, one thing that Jason Peters likes to do um, at tackle is to really explode off the line and create that space and get to his spot. Um, you're not going to be able to do that at guard. Guard, it happens right now in the past game. Um, Jason Peters is still physical enough to uh, be able to throw hands or do whatever he needs to do and anchor. He's going to be strong enough. You know, those guys that accumulate all those snaps, all those starts, and all those years on the left side, having them switch sides is not ideal. Um, but again, a lot of th things that Jason Peters has done throughout his career um, has been outlier um, type D things. So if anybody can do it, um, it could be Jason Peters. I, again, I just still worry about some of the injuries that he's had um, and some of the patterns that he's kind of created. But it could be a thing that he's worked all offseason to bring up some of those imbalances and prepare himself to be able to play that right guard position. So if that's the case, um, you may see potential smooth transition, but I, I just still worry about it. Sure. So we talked about, uh, you know, Jason Peters and the impact he can have uh, on that O-line room. And you know me, Duke, like, when I've got a, a, a chance to grab your ear, like I'm always going to ask you like some position specific things. I, I'm always thinking about like big picture, O-line evaluation, projection from college to the NFL. So uh, I've got a, a couple of those questions here before I let you go. Um, you know, first one, 
is things we see in college, typically with a lot of these linemen, a lot of schools like their guys to be a little bit lighter, obviously, than what we see uh, in the NFL. And so when you've got those lighter linemen, you know, there can be issues with play strength, with, uh, you know, their ability to anchor or with their power. So I want to ask you this, when you're looking at guys projecting from college to the NFL, what is easier to fix over the course of an offseason or, you know, maybe a full calendar year? Is it easier to make a guy stronger so he can better, like, hold his ground against a bull rush? Or is it easier to make them a little bit more powerful so they can move guys against their will in the run game? Is there one that's harder to do or easier to do than the other? That's a great question uh, because – Strength truly is the basis of every athletic movement, and there's no substitute for it, and then power is the functional use of that strength. So uh, a lot of times it's more – you can make guys stronger, but it's very difficult to make guys powerful where they can actually unlock and use that strength. Mm. There's a lot of things that come into it. Uh, Mobility, um, actually stability, mobility – um, and then just a lot of times those neuromuscular re-education of getting those movement patterns to, to fire and sink once that newfound strength and power is found. Um, and then you, you talk about things like the core and just being able to body positioning and leverages. All that go, plays into effect uh, or plays a factor when talking about using uh, that functional strength and with it being the output of power. So there's a couple of different things. Um, I can make a guy stronger immediately. Uh, you know, you give me, you know, six or nine weeks, he's going to be stronger. But to actually be able to use that that strength and uh, that in a, in a functional form of power, um, again, we're talking about body positioning, body control, um, and then the leverages and just overall being able to trust the technique to be able to output it through that power. Mm-hmm. So making a guy more functionally powerful um, could be a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes time. Um, in that same regard, um, it's easier to get a guy stronger and powerful than to fix sloppy footwork. Sure. So <laughs> that if uh, I know that typically is always the next question, which one's yep. easier to fix? <laughs> yeah. You know me. <laughs> yeah. So if, guy, if a guy's feet are not right, yep. you can have a guy with athletic and fast feet, but if they aren't efficient, uh, <laughs> he's not going to be able to do much. Yep. And that was something that I know you and I talked about last year on the show was, uh, you know, something that you preach is efficient feet allow for effective hands. And so I kind of wanted to ask you that is what do efficient feet look like on film? You know, for those, uh, the listeners that are watching coaching tape, you know, online on game pass and, you know, what are some of the telltale signs of a guy that has good feet? I think we can all kind of point out like the guys that have great feet that are the, you know, the pure dancing bears, but what do good feet or what do efficient feet look like? versus a guy who has bad feet? When you see a guy with efficient feet, they're really definitive in all movement. So they'll take their set and they'll get to exactly where they need to be and you won't see a whole lot of other movement. You know, their movement will all be predicated and based off a reaction of what their what their opponent is giving them. Versus guys that don't have that efficient feet, they'll be dancing around and you start to see that happy feet type type deal. And so we always try to say uh, fast isn't always efficient, but efficient 
can definitely always be the equalizer to make you just a quick uh, touch faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's one of the things that you can look at. There's a couple of guys who I like to look at in terms of efficient feet. Um, again, Jason Peters is one, Lane Johnson the other. Uh, Mitchell Schwartz is a great guy with that's very efficient with his movement. Not a great athlete, so really relies on being efficient. Teron Armstead, really efficient movement. Um, Zach Martin, really efficient with his footwork. Um, I did a film breakdown of Zach Martin versus uh, Fletcher Cox for the Scouting Academy. And it's probably one of of my favorite uh, film breakdowns we did. We spent about an hour and 20 minutes with myself and Dan Atman. And really what you saw there is that uh, Fletcher bought it, bought everything that he could. But because Zach's footwork was so efficient, because his body control – uh, was on point. There was times where Zach was technically beat, but was always able to recover. So that's kind of what efficient footwork and efficient movement is all about. Not really wasting anything and not really taking your feet and really taking your mind to places that don't exist in terms of movement. Yeah. You mentioned something there with a guy's ability to recover. And to me, like that's been something, um, and I think it's been through my conversations with you over the last couple of years is like something that has kind of like creeped up the list of things that I'm always looking for is like those three, four, five, six examples of a guy that, you know, he gets beat, but you see his ability to recover. And I think it goes back to something you said a little bit earlier uh, in the conversation about guys that are, you know, built structurally strong. If you've got a strong core, you know, if you're, you know, athletic, a lot athletic enough, to be able to recover and kind of govern uh, that strength in your core, you're, you're going to stay up. You're not going to be on the ground all that often. Uh, what are some of the things you look for with a guy's ability to be able to recover? Yeah, I think everything we just touched on, really. Um, yeah. not, really wasting, not really wasting that movement. Uh, being able to feel pressure and fight force for, for, with force. Mm-hmm. Being able to reset the hands, re-leverage the hips. Uh, not really overextending a lot. Those are all things that I see. Um, Specifically, when scouting and evaluating college guys making that transition, if a guy can consistently do that, then he's going to have a shot to come in immediately and kind of translate that right to a Sunday game. Um, and so those are really the things that I look for in terms of a guy's ability to be able to recover and cover guys up and just really stand half man and stand in proper position where he's never in a totally bad situation. The Eagles have a handful of really unique physical specimens along the offensive line. You, know, you mentioned uh, a few of them already. What is the most important athletic trait in your mind for an offensive lineman? Because we, we talk about like the combine and the different tests, the different drills, how things are, are kind of studied from that respect. What is, to in your mind, the most important athletic trait for an offensive lineman? Really, I think the more and more that I look at it, it's two, and it, or actually three. It's stability and mobility and then that functional core strength. Because that functional core strength is what's going to bring it all together and give you the ability to change directions, um, to not waste any movement, to be able to build your house and be able to leverage, redirect force up on the bull rush, um, to really be able to strain. you got to be able to strain and, uh, and, and finish blocks. And that doesn't always mean putting people on the ground, but just to be able to strain and hold your ground um, takes a level of core stability and core strength. So those are probably the three most important things that I see. Um, But if we want to talk about from the ground up, um, again, that efficient feat, you know, um, a guy that continues to, and this is more of a skill, but um, is able to get into a functional stance, be able to replicate that over and over again, um, 
guys that are always in position to win the block with their feet. Um, Cause again, that's going to allow for effective hands. But then as we start to move up the chain, that core, that core strength and core stability. So you're really active in the media space and you, know, you look at uh, your own social media, you obviously see, you know, the evaluations, the scouting reports, you know, everybody talking about O-line play. Is there a, a facet of that of that position that you feel gets talked about too much that you feel like, man, like I wish people didn't spend so much time talking about this part of offensive line play because it really doesn't match in terms of how much value it actually has to being effective at the position? A lot of times the measurables, hmm. uh, you know, the the length, the height, you know, how fast somebody is, all that type of stuff, especially the arm length. Um when you look at some of the best tackles in the league right now, all of them are below 34 inches in terms of arm length. Um, so to be able to write guys off, uh, he doesn't have over 34-inch arms. He's got to move inside. Why? Um, again, if we're evaluating – so I think really it, um, that's kind of an old-school mentality of uh, we want to get a long guy and length. That's great, but you can have a guy with 37-inch arms and he can't block a, a troll on Twitter if needed to be uh, – <laughs> Because at the end of the day, again, we talked about some of those traits that really are important from the ground up. And those are the things that I think uh, need to be valued in mm. evaluation. So valuation, evaluation, um, what do you value in your evaluation? And again, it's ground up traits uh, and not so much that length, and things like that. Yeah, it's a, um, a great quote I heard from Vic, Vic Fangio. I'm pretty sure it was last summer. He said, you can have all the tools in the world. It doesn't make you a carpenter. And so I was like, yeah, nope. I definitely get that. That's That that one stuck with me. Um, last question for you, man. I really, really appreciate uh, the time talking O-line here today. There's talk every offseason when it comes to, like, team building and uh, position value and things like that. Like, all right, how, what's more important? You know, is the running back important? Is the linebacker important? When you're looking at the positions on the offensive line, is it harder – for you in your mind to find a good tackle, a good guard, or a good center? Like, how do you kind of stack the three positions uh, in terms of, like, what's hardest to be able to find in terms of a quality starter in the NFL? All of them have their own unique challenges, but just by sheer numbers, there's only 32 starting centers in the league. Mm. Um, and when you look at a lot of the backups, the backups, there are significant drop-offs. Mm. You know, so – I think it's hard to find a really, really good center um, because, for instance, you look at the you look at the Eagles. The Eagles have, you know, probably three to four really good tackles and probably three to four really good guards. Okay. But when you look at the center position, there's Jason Kelsey and then you know Isaac Sumalo, who kind of can do everything, is probably going to slide in there. And then when you look across the league. Um, there's only a couple of teams that have put themselves in situations to really um, foster and develop a backup center. I think you saw a couple of years ago with Dallas, you know, with having Joe Looney come in and be adequate and the absence of Travis Frederick. But there's not many. There's typically significant drop off when you lose your starting center in terms of communication, being able to point the different protections and the run fits and things like that. So you don't want to lose your starting center. I can tell you that right now. But, again, all of them are their own positions. Um, and when I say that, even right guard and left guard. I mean, yeah. there's there there's different things that are asked for each side and each position. And so all of them are individually unique and significant in terms of finding uh, replacements and being able to scout and evaluate that. 
specifically based upon what your offensive scheme is and what you're asking those guys to do. Mm-hmm. What real quickly? What are those some of those differences between like a right guard, left guard, just like surface level stuff? Well, really, it depends on again which what you're asked to do. If you've got a right hand quarterback or left hand quarterback, typically on the right side, you're asking um, that right guard to be just a touch more firm, be more of a mauler. Um, that way, that po- that pocket is flattened out. Um, a lot of times you'll see the left guards not be as aggressive setting and things of that nature. So it just really depends on what your offensive scheme is. Um, and, you know, you'll hear the term playing on the dish. Um, a lot of times that refers back to the right side a lot. Old Howard Mudd concept. Um, so it really just depends, to be honest with you. Um, it really depends on the type of offense. But um, as I always say, is that like when you start to go through the positions, and you say, all right, name me the top five or six, you know, right guards in the league. You know, name me the top five centers in the league. Name me the top five left guards in the league. Top five right tackles. Top five. Well, I can name a lot of good right tackles. I can name a lot of good left tackles. I can name a decent amount of very good right guards. You know, you probably got five or six, like, really good elite-type centers. But then when you look at, for instance, a position of like left guard, like how many really good left guards are there in the league? Right. Like, I mean, when you look at like, oh, man, he's, you know, so we start to look at that and you start to factor that in. Like, again, all five positions are very much different, mm. you know, so you can't really put them in one box. They're separate. They've got to be scouted and evaluated different. Um, I think uh, you're starting to see that a little bit with at first the Pro Bowl. Um, and then, you know, the all pro selections, they're picking right side and left side. And I think the Pro Bowl is probably going to eventually uh, take suit of that as well because the right tackles just aren't getting the love yeah. in the Pro Bowl voting. Um, yeah. and, it, and it's a travesty. And I think that all pro voting has gotten it right the past couple of years in terms of picking a right tackle, a left tackle, a right guard, a left guard, and a center, and not just having, you know, five tackles in there or whatever the hell it is for the sake of it. So hopefully the Pro Bowl moves to that direction. Um, that way some of these guys at right tackle aren't getting cheated out of some of those spots because they're very deserving of being Pro Bowl caliber. Um, you know, there's guys who have made all pros and haven't touched a Pro Bowl. And I think there's there's a problem with that. Well, Duke, this has been awesome, you know, as expected and as always. Thanks so much for joining us here uh, on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Hope to talk to you again soon. Hopefully we've got football uh, to be able to watch here coming up here in a few weeks. Duke, thanks so much, man. Fran, always a pleasure, my brother. I'll talk to you soon. Stay safe, and we'll see you down the road. Great stuff from Duke, and you can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at BigDuke50, and while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com, and you know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other way is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, or even leave us a comment. Look, we're hopefully we are uh, very, very close to our daily podcast covering training camp practice uh, here for the Eagles. It's a little bit of a different format than what we normally do on a weekly basis, but that's going to be the idea. Once training camp practices do get into high gear, we'll be here every single day. So uh, if you've got any questions or comments in the meantime, feel free. Jump on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. We'll hit on it here on the show. 
Really great stuff uh, this week from Duke. Thanks so much to him. And I, to me, you know, real quick uh, before we close, just wanted to talk about uh, the move from Jason Peters from uh, left tackle to right guard. And obviously, look, there there is some projection there, right? We're talking about a guy who has uh, done one thing at one position for you know a decade plus at an extremely high level in the NFL, and he's going to have to flip things around a little bit when you're talking from uh, going from the left side to the right side. And obviously, your set points are going to change a little bit when you go from tackle to guard as well. So certainly some changes. Jason Peters, if anybody's going to be able to do it, he's one of those guys that you expect, yeah, he's going to be able to make that transition. If not, that's why you like to have those versatile pieces along the offensive line. That's why versatility along the O-line is so important because now you've got the ability to kind of tinker and say, okay, well, if this doesn't work, we can move this, these pieces around and really kind of make sure that we can get the best five guys on the field. And, and so to me, um, you know, it goes back to why versatility is so, so important along the offensive line. No question that after Brandon Brooks' injury, you know, bringing a guy like Jason Peters in certainly makes the group as a whole better. Not even just the top five, but your top seven, your top eight, your top nine uh, certainly get better. There's a lot of young guys in the trenches on this Eagles team. Uh, can't wait to be able to see them up close in person uh, here this summer for the start of training camp. So again, thanks so much to Duke. Thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Duffy House, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.